0: Good morning, Power Place. Happy Mother's Day. So excited you guys are all here to come together and worship God corporately. There's literally nothing better. Um, It's just the best day of the week. Um, We value honor in this house. And today, before I am honored to speak with my mama, uh, I want to bring honor to a very, very special mother of this house. She has mothered this house for 19 years. Because of her yes to the Lord 19 years ago, the power place exists. Um, She is a pillar of righteousness and boldness. She is loud for the Lord. And not only is she an incredible mother to her children, but she's also an amazing spiritual mother to many of you in the room. Um, She's one of those women who laughs in the face of darkness and in the face of trial. She's definitely gone through trials in her life and is one of those type of women that are so planted so deeply in the Lord that when storms come her way, she's never been knocked over. She's always stood strong. Incredible, incredible woman. I am so blessed and would you help me honor as we welcome her to the stage, Pastor Christy Hollis. would you guys just stretch a hand towards Pastor Christy right now as we just pray over her? Father, I thank you so much for this oak of righteousness. Father, this woman who stands, Father, before you as a vessel, who has continually been poured out so that you can pour into again. Father, I thank you for a woman and a mother of this house who has led um, with conviction, Father, and in truth and in love, Lord. And I thank you that this is only the beginning of her ministry, Father. As she said yes to you all those years ago in ministry, Father, that this is only the beginning. I thank you for a fresh fire, a fresh fire and a fresh oil, Father, on her life. Thank you, Father, that as she leaves you go before her, Father, we just thank you for a mind of peace, Lord, and a mouth that continually, Father, just says yes to what you want. I thank you for feet that follow you, Father, as she keeps her eyes locked on you, Lord. I thank you that you are, are growing her, you're strengthening her, you're cultivating her, Father. And I, I just thank you, Father, for who she's been to this house, how she's been a steadfast rock of a woman in this house, Lord, that says no matter what, I will do whatever the Lord calls calls me to do. I thank you, Father, for the unity that she brings to this house, for the power, the power, Lord, that you put inside of her, God, that we all get to glean from of who she is, Lord. And I thank you that this is just the beginning. I thank you that this is just the beginning for her, Lord. And we thank you for amazing, amazing days ahead for her, Lord. And we honor her today, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. There's no one like Pastor Christy. Amen. Amen. She has championed us and encouraged us as her kids, Isaiah and I and Pastor Ally and Landon. And Amen. she's a good one. Yes, she is. Okay. Well, Hi. moving along, <laughs> I am so <laughs> excited and honored. Um, when we were thinking about Mother's Day months ago, I said, I have got to get my mom on stage with me. Um, this woman, Deb, this is Debbie Grandizio, my mom. You've probably seen her around here. A lot of you know her, a lot of you don't, that's okay. Um, she is an incredible woman of God. I would not be who I am today had it not been for this woman her prayers for us as her children, um, her just being steadfast in the word. She always believed the word of God no matter what she saw in the natural with us kids. No matter what she saw, she just kept always coming back to the word of God and speaking life over us and speaking God's promises over us and sometimes it was like, yeah, 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 mom. But she was that kind of mom, like she wasn't moved or shaken by what she saw in the natural. She's incredible, she has an incredible testimony. Um, What she's been through is insane, from Mm. physical abuse as a child to sexual abuse in her teen years to drug use and drug overdose and just all kind of things that she's battled in her life and has always come out on top and um, found Jesus Amen. Mid-30s, early 30s. Mid-20s. Mid-20s, but, that's but, what I said. But didn't really start 40. to
1: really serve him until 30, 30.
0: Incredible, 30. incredible woman. So there are, she has four kids. There's four of us, three girls, and then a boy. Billy broke up our girl gang. So there's there's my older sister, Lisa, who lives out of state. Some of you may have seen her when she's come mm-hmm. to visit. And then next in line is my sister La, who's so beautifully. She's the angelic voice that the heavens open up and shine down on her as she worships. And then lucky number three, your girl here. And I don't. I mean, we were good after that. So I'm not really sure what happened. But (laughs) Pastor Billy came along about four years after that. We had a good thing going with our little girl gang, and then my little brother, who many of you know as Pastor Billy. Came along. We actually have a picture that we've brought. <laughs> I know, I know. I had to embarrass Pastor Billy a little bit, and he's not even in here today. He's serving with the kids. I mean, but that's my dad, Mr. Billy Grandizio, who runs our finances. Oh, there we are. Precious. You can't get more 90s Precious. than that picture right there. <laughs> The velvet vest over the white turtleneck, the bang yes, the bangs. I mean law, the bangs. We're going back to it. We're doing it. <laughs> that was nineties. So that's us, but mom, why don't you tell us a little bit, just a little bit before we get started into our questions for the day, why don't you tell us a little bit just about what growing up some of the growing up years looked like for you? Okay. Um, I was the
1: third I was the baby of three kids and um, my dad was military loves his country, such a patriot. He was, a, um, not Vietnam, he was World War II and Korean vet, and um, was, he was brilliant. My dad was a brilliant teacher, he, was a, a bril- he protected us, he taught us, <clears throat> but then when he drank alcohol, he became very violent. I mean violent to the point of it was, you, you kind of tried to run and get to your room. Um, I had my nose broken, unfortunately, when I was 10, because, in, in a drunken rage. And um, I, I, was, I was just swollen all across the face and got up the next day, and he wouldn't remember. And so nobody said anything, so you just kind of, well, that happened, but you know what? Just, just get over it. I lost hearing in this left ear when I was slapped across the face. I always had trouble in this ear, not so much anymore, but when I was young, I did. And, um, so what I did was I filled my heart with food and I ate ridiculous amounts. How, how many know when, you, I mean, you can eat thousands of calories and never fills your heart. So I became extremely obese. I mean, to the point where the school nurse of the school, this would not fly today, but the school nurse at our our elementary school, Mrs. Carlson, she was such a sweetheart, but she called my mom and she said, there's a couple children in the school that I'm concerned about that are, are obese, and your daughter's one. So my mom said, You know, sure, you can help. You know, I try, and, I try and do my best. So she said, I want her to come to the nurse's office instead of going to lunch with my friends. I had to go to the nurse's office with, with these other kids and eat <laughs> carrot sticks and pineapple. <laughs> and so on the way home, <clears throat> so on the way home, I would buy five Clark bars and eat every one of them until I got home. And she would say, Debbie, I don't understand. You're not losing weight. And I'm like, oh no. You know, so, you know, feeding my heart, just, just feeding my heart. And back in the 1960s, I think it was Sears, they had a, a clothing line. I don't know whether anybody remembers, it was called Chubby. That, that would never fly today. And I was the highest in the chubby. And I'd say to my mom, Mom, I don't want to go to the chubby section and get my clothes. I want to dress like, you know, and she'd say, Deb, it doesn't fit you. It doesn't fit you. So the summer after eighth grade, back then um, middle school was seven, eight, and nine. And then high school was 10, 11th, and 12th. So the summer between um, my eighth year, um, the summer after eighth grade, I stopped eating. And I mean, stopped eating. I drank water. When my mom would call me for dinner, I'd say I was tired. And I'd go in my room and sleep. So I was at that you know, I was one of the shortest in my class. And the last time I had been weighed, I think it was the sixth grade, I was 178. So I'm pushing 180. And, and I'm real little. Um, and by, so that was summer after eighth grade. In August, I stopped eating. By the next May, when I would get real dizzy, let me just real quick. When I would get real dizzy, I'd eat an orange, and then maybe weeks would go by before I'd eat another orange. By the next May of my ninth grade year, I was 91 pounds, and now I can eat. You know, teachers would stop me in the hall and say, "Oh my, oh my goodness, what, what You know, and I. Just, mm. So now I can eat, and I'm i 'm starting to one day in the hallway, I almost passed out. I, I leaned up against the lockers. I have these little clothes on now, and I leaned up against the locker, and everything started to go black. And my girlfriend uh, Jamie said, what, "What can I do?" I said, "Go down get down in the cafeteria and get me a... I used to love lemon hostess pies and chocolate milk." And so she said, oh, "I 'll go down and get." Me. OK, so somebody ran down, got and just opening the pack of the pie. The, the smell made me sick. Something I used to love just made me sick. But I took a little piece because I knew I needed the sugar. And I put it in my mouth, and when they opened the chocolate milk, I felt just --ugh, oh. But I took a sip, so I got a little um, bit of energy. So now I'm going into anorexia, you know. And um, but the boys like me now, and I was not allowed to date. Wasn't allowed to date till I was 16. Wasn't allowed a lot. Not allowed in a car with a boy. And one day, this boy, uh, I met him. He was home from college. He was 19. I was 15. It would have never gone in my house. But he asked me, he said, listen, could I take you out? And I said, well, he said, well, how about lunch? I thought he thought lunch is pretty benign. Well, I'll just take you out to lunch and I'll bring you home. I said, all right, meet me up the street from my house. So he picked me up and I guess his parents were divorced. I think he needed money from his mom to take me. He said, I want, to take, I want to take you to a nice place. So we stopped at his mom's house, and he said, you can come in if you want. I said, okay. So before we went in, he said, I have to tell you something first. He said, my mom's a witch. Well, I, want, I almost giggled. I really wanted to laugh. I thought, right. When we walked in, um, and he closed the door behind us, fear gripped me like there was like no tomorrow. In the dining room around the table where about six or seven women in long black dresses, and there's two warlocks there. They had black turtlenecks. It was summer. They had black turtlenecks, black um, uh, suits, and the one looked at me. I swear he looks like um, Anton McVeigh, who started the Church of Satan. I, I don't, I don't know if it was, but he just he, the way he looked at me. It was almost as if to say, "I know you, and I hate you." And as soon as he looked at me, I looked down. Now. The guy I'm with goes in the bedroom with his mom to get some money, and I'm standing there by myself, and the, the head warlock, you could tell he was the boss, he leans over to the one witch, and he whispers something to her. She comes over, and she prays over me. I did not know it at the time that she put a curse on me because I didn't think that could happen. So she came over, and she was really weird. She put my hands like this. She prayed over me, and my teeth were chattering. I can't even look at her, but my teeth were chattering. And then she turned my palms over and started to read my palms, and I'm feeling sick. So he comes out of the bedroom and he goes, Okay, you know, we can go to lunch now. So we walked out. Something happened. I knew something was different. It was an appendage. It was like an appendage. Something entered me that I couldn't understand. I just, I I didn't know, but I knew something happened. And I walked outside of his mom's house and the grass didn't look as green and the sky wasn't as blue. It was almost like a dark film it was over my eyes. I thought, what is that? I kept, I kept wanting to get something off my back. I thought, what is that? So we got out to his car and I said, I feel sick. I can't go out to lunch. He goes, I, I just got money. I just I said, I feel sick. I can't go out to lunch. Drop me off. So he dropped me off up the street, and the whole way down the street, I kept feeling there was, I don't know, something was on me. And I kept saying, what's wrong with me? What is that? Well, a couple months later, I was at school. I had to finish a report, and um, I had to wait for the late bus. That was a pain. I had to wait till four o'clock. So I'm standing outside of school, and my best friend's boyfriend, who I was also really good friends with, I said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm waiting for the late bus. I had to stay for a report." He said, "I'll take you home." I wasn't allowed in car. I remember I wasn't allowed in a car with a boy. But my both of my parents worked. I figured I could get home, get my homework done before my parents, you know, got home. So we got in the car with them. He was taking me home. And long story short, I was sexually abused. I hate the word rape, so I use the word sexually abused. And. Um, something just put me over. That just set me over. Some of my friends were intimate with their boyfriends. I was not. I wasn't intimate with anybody. And um, right after this witch prayed for me, things were in my room. I would feel things in my hair. I would feel being choked. I would feel trying to wake up. I would feel like people were putting cinder blocks on my chest and I would wake up gasping for air. And one day I said to my mom, mom, something's in my room. I'm telling you, I'm not kidding. Something's in my room. And she got scared. She just said, Debbie, stop it. Stop it. That's crazy. And I thought, yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? But I knew what was happening. I wasn't sleeping. Um, So that pretty much, um, oh, the, then I, I, I dove into drug use. Like I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be here. Because if we were at a party and people were doing six lines of cocaine, I wanted twelve, um, and I'd chase it with the Black Russian. or th- That's an alcoholic drink, it's not a guy. I'd chase it with with, a, with the Black Russian, and um, I gotta take a drink real right? <laughs> quick. I was bad. I know. You know, I, I, I just tried to stay because I, I had to stay high. I had to stay high because all the trauma that I had had, you know, you can only, you can only push trauma back and down for so long. If you don't deal with it and no man, no drug, no amount of money. Nothing can deal with your trauma except for Jesus Christ. But I didn't know that. I I didn't know that. So push it back, push it down, push it back, push it down. I overdosed so many times. Um, Four times were in school and my parents had to be called. They would come home from work and I see my mom crying and my dad would just, he'd have his head down and they'd be shaking their heads. And my sister, who had just gotten married, she lived in Philly, she came down and she said, if we don't get Debbie help, she's gonna die. And I was afraid they were gonna put me in a facility. So my mother came in and she said, what, what can we do? What, what, do we, what do I do? What are we doing? I said, listen, Ma, I, I just wanted to lose 10 pounds, so I took 10 Dexies. They're Dex- dexedrine, they were um, speed. I said, I just wanted to lose 10. If I took one today, I'd be speeding until Tuesday. But I said, I, just, I wanted to lose 10 pounds, so I took 10, 10 Dexies. And my parents, they didn't know what to do with me. They just didn't know what to do. They were, I saw that they were scared to death. My mom, they, they didn't know what to do with me. So I took that's a little snippet up into my teenage years.
0: Okay, so we have a couple questions for you. okay. So number one, what does a godly woman look like? Okay.
1: The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. So when you get up and you seek him and he is in you, it exudes. It, it, it comes out. She looks peaceful. She's confident. She doesn't care if anybody likes her. You don't like me. She doesn't care if she gets invited to all the places. You don't invite me there. I don't care. And so she's just confident. She's peaceful. Am I not supposed to do that?
0: We're gonna put a quarter in the swear jar. So, don't don't. You want you want me to bring up to speed with what that means nowadays? Back in your days with the Italians, meant something else. Doesn't mean that anymore. We don't want to do that. Okay. She has no idea what that means, by the way. Just so you know, <laughs> my my no grandparents
1: clue. and my parents yeah, yeah, yeah. always did it. It was yeah. car,
0: car, Carolyn no Sheehan Carolyn
1: Shean would know what that means.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Doesn't mean what it used to mean, girls. Sorry, right. we won't. It's not bad better. though. It it uh, isn't bad. This is bad now. No, it's not. Okay. Bad. <laughs> she has no clue. <laughs> no clue. We'll talk about it later, Mom. Mom, we'll talk about it later. But we'll talk about it later. Okay. Number two, how do you operate as a godly mother? As a godly
1: mother. I wrote a couple bullet points down. Number one, you can't, don't even try and strive for perfection, but the obvious, you teach your children God's word. You bring them to the house of the Lord, but don't expect the church to, to, you got to do it. You got to do it at home. Don't, don't expect the church to do your job. Um, you got to set your face like Flint when you discipline. <clears throat> um, my children, went, when we would walk into church, um, there was a water fountain right there and there was there were restrooms. And I would say, this was after we got into a Bible-believing church. Um, actually in the Catholic church as well. They, they couldn't get up. But after we got into a Holy Spirit-filled church, I would say, get your drinks and go to the bathroom now because you're not getting up during worship. You're not getting up during the sermon unless you're gonna vomit. You stay in your seat. So that was our, you know. So you set your face like flint when you discipline. Uh, be consistent, even when you're tired and you're distracted. I had three girls, and and they, they were kids. They were normal kids, but then I had a boy. And. He, he was a little different. He kicked, he pulled, he punched. He put the we. My husband one year got, went out and got a, um, a real Christmas tree in it. It hit the ceiling. It was beautiful. It was, it was massive. And um, he pulled the tree down. Uh, my girls didn't do that. They, they just didn't do that stuff. You know, I went out one day. My brother lived next door. He had a pool. So I was hanging some of the kids' bathing suits up outside. and I looked at our new shed. And all the windows were shot out with a BB gun. (laughs) My girls didn't do this, you know? They would, you know. So consistency with discipline. And there were times, oh, there were times, where especially during the summer, um, one day I put a belt around my neck as a deterrent. I said, I, I can't, it's, uh, I said to all four of them, I said, look, <clears throat> I don't want to use this, but I will. Okay. So it was, and you know what? It worked. I don't know whether you remember that day. They didn't do anything. Nobody did anything, but I forgot. <clears throat> and about three o'clock, the Avon lady came to my door <clears throat> <clears throat> and she came. I said, Hey Jean, how you doing? She goes, Hey, dead band day. And I went, Oh. <laughs> You know, so consistent, uh, show them, I, I taught, I teach them fasting, teach them to hold on to the word of God for themselves. Um, our oldest was healed by, by standing on the word of God. She, she was healed of seizures. Uh, Billy was healed of a wheat allergy, Crohn's disease. Um, just Billy was very sick as an infant and, and, I, and God usually put me in a situation where nobody could help me but him. He had a rotavirus at eight months and he threw, he's, he's an infant and he would not stop throwing up. And I called my doctor, Dr. Applegate. I think Diane Smack knows Dr. Applegate. We went to the same doctor. Um, and he said, Mrs. Grandizio, you can take him to the ER, but it's packed we're in an, we're we're having an, it's an epidemic. I said, what do I do with my child? He said, keep, you know, the the Pedialyte and things like that. He said, keep putting your finger in his mouth to make sure he doesn't get dehydrated. But I was scared to death. Um, After four days, this child is not eating and he's vomiting and he looks awful. And my mom came over one day, she had stopped and got popsicles. And she said, Debbie, something's got to be done. I said, "Mom, I know, but no, nobody can help me." So I told you. You were still real little. I told um, my my, our older two. I showed them where fasting. God answered King David's prayer. This is where. This is what we're going to do. I said we're going to go to church. We were still in the Catholic Church at the time. I had been reading my Bible. And I said, we're going to go to, we're going to fast all day. That means go without food. Okay. They said, okay. Cause they were scared for their, their little brother too. And we, um, we left for church. I was sitting in church and I'm praying like no tomorrow. And Lisa, our oldest tapped on my shoulder. And I said, "Yes." Yeah. she goes, mom, God told me Billy's done throwing up. And I looked at her and I wanted, I, I, I needed to believe that. I said, Okay, honey, that's, we're, we're going to believe that. We're going to believe that. So we got home. Bill stayed home with Billy and Brittany. And Bill said, I think he's getting better. And he looked better. And he was just progressively, he ate a little bit of lunch. He was well from that time on. And that spoke to my children. So teach your children God's Word. You know, get them in the Word and show them, you know, you have to write... You have to raise your children in church. Let me say something else. Watch who your kids befriend. I don't care if they're in church. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're being raised in Christ. So watch their friends. Um, I'll tell you a, another story. We had moved into our neighborhood. We weren't there long. And Billy wanted to invite some kids to youth group. Absolutely. Whenever any of them said, you know, I'd like them to come to youth group, we brought them to church, and they were. It was good. Anyway, Billy said to me one. It was a Friday, and he said, "Mom, we're all spending the night at this kid's house. He lived in my neighborhood, two streets down. He said we're all spending the night. It was a Friday night. Can I go? There's there was going to be the four of them. He said the parents are going to be home. You know, and you know, before you answer your child, think pray. Something in here went, mm-mm. I said, you know what, Billy? I don't think that's a good idea. He goes, mom, mom the parents are going to be home. I said, I don't think it's a good idea. And he was mad. He you know, went up the steps. I said, and don't, don't you slam that door. So, you know, he was not real happy that night, but he got over it. And the next morning he called, he he got a phone call and he came downstairs and he goes, mom. I said, what? He said, how did you know? I said, know what? He said, those three boys uh, were arrested because at three o'clock in the morning, they all snuck out and were stealing out of cars, got caught, and they were all arrested. He said, how did you know? I said, you know what? I didn't know. I just had a weird feeling that you shouldn't be there. So whenever you get a check, you know, and you're like this too, my children used to say, whenever you have that check, use it. Step, now was I always right all the time? No, I wasn't always right. Um, another time he met a girl before our, our beautiful Binti. He met a girl and he was, as the old timers say, smitten. And he called me and told me about her. And I said, Oh, that's nice. And he goes, Mom, she's a church girl. And her her parents go to church. I said, That's nice. That's nice. But something in here went, mm mm. So he came home and um, he said, So, you know, can she come up and stay with us? And I said, no. Nope. She goes, Mom, she's really a nice girl. I said, Listen, I don't care, Billy, but she can't. So he was. He was not happy. And he kept saying, Mom, she's a church girl. Her family's in church. And I said, let me tell you something, Billy. Dr. Lester Summerall would cast demons out of people in church. And when he would say to the Lord, Lord, how are demons so comfortable in church? The Lord would say, Devil's not afraid of power. They're afraid of authority. Yeah. You know? So I, I, just, I just said no. Um, and one night I was woken up. And I looked out in the hallway and I saw his light on. It was three o'clock in the morning. And he was on the phone with her. So I opened his door and I said, off now. Got off the phone. I would see him outside in the backyard talking to her. And I, I got on my knees in my kitchen and I said, I can't keep this from happening, Lord. I mean, he's old enough. I can't keep this from happening. Would you take her out of his heart? And a few days later, he came in the kitchen. He said, Mom, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. He goes, I don't think she's for me. I said, really? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Because God sent us our binti. So that's what I do want to say. Just because because you're raised in church doesn't mean you're raised in Christ. Be careful. Watch your children. These are our greatest assets. And we've got to watch them. Better them cry now than you cry later. Yeah, that's so, good. so, you know. So, here. Yeah. Okay.
0: okay, number three. How do you have a godly marriage? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We were not saved when we got married, and I do not recommend that. We were not saved. Um, I had a, I had a little plaque that I saw somewhere. I, I had, I had, to, I had to buy that. That's me. It said, "Our marriage was made in heaven, but so was thunder and lightning," and uh, that was, <laughs> that was definitely us. Um, ladies, you pray for that man, yeah. and you, you pray for that man, and you wait. Husbands, pray for your wives, and you and you wait. One day, you know, I got a hold of the Bible it's a long story. I have such a long testimony. I was very, very sick. And um, I got a hold of the Bible one day and I started reading it. And I, I guess I was about 25. It was right, right after I got pregnant with Lauren or right after she was born. I got on my knees and I prayed, and he knows this. I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I, I want a new man. I, I want a godly man. I, I want a man who opens the Bible and leads me. So I want a new man. And I heard this voice in my frame say, Bill is going to be a new man. It took years. It took years. So be patient with God, because as he's working on your spouse, he's working on you because I probably needed more work than he did. You know, so honor him, honor, honor your spouse, even when you're distracted, even when you want to high five their face, honor, honor your spouse. You have to honor him. You have to love him, right? Yes. Um, she
0: speaks truth. I'll tell you that.
1: Stand your ground, though. I mean, you, ha- you have to yeah. stand your ground uh, with your husband. You have to follow God, love your husband while you're following God, honor him, yeah. but follow, put him first, yeah. put God first. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, good. that's yes. Good.
0: Okay. How do you steward your time, talent, and treasure as a godly woman? Mm. Okay.
1: Well, my time, I do, I get up real early in the morning. I have to. And even when they were little, before I was really saved, I had to get up early in the morning and listen to quiet before all the noise started. And I had to let him fill me because the storm was about to come down the steps. You know, I had to let him fill me um, and his presence just gave me peace. Yeah. Just, just gave me peace. Now, there were times where I would, sometimes I'd run up the stairs and I'd close our bathroom door. In our old house, there was a, a church in the field behind us, and at the top of the steeple was a cross. And I prayed to a God that I didn't know, but I would look out there and I'd say, I can't do this. Because somebody would be fighting. Somebody would say, he's pulling my hair, she's kicking I said, I would say, I can't do this I didn't have good role models. Like that's going to that's gonna make God move. I, 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 did, I don't have good role models. And all of a sudden you hear pounding on the door. She's hit me. His. So you're going to have days where, okay, Lord. Okay. Okay, Lord. So the most important thing is get into God and him into you early in the morning before everybody gets up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talent. Well, it says, how do I steward your time, talent, and treasures? I'm not sure how much talent I have. But because of everything I've been through, I love to encourage. Like if, if I can put in courage and come alongside of you, because I didn't have that. I had nobody doing that for me. So I like to come alongside of people and say, you can do this. You can make it in God. I also like to bake and cook. and I, That's kind of my talent, I guess. I like to do that. So, okay.
0: yeah. Okay. Can you talk to us about you pre-God versus walking with God? Hmm.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> you know, trying to fight back all the trauma. Push it down. You can do that when you're young. And I even took up transcendental meditation because I think I would have gone to the moon on roller skates looking for peace. I didn't know what peace was. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God and God gives you peace. Satan drives you and he'll push you and push you. And I felt like my teen and young adult years, I was running. I just kept running in my mind because if I sat still, then I was going to have to deal with everything and the horror that happened to me, and the horror that still keeps happening because those things would still be in my room. Um, so I went and took up Transcendental Meditation and I knelt before a God that I didn't know. Um, I paid lots of money to do this. I went to the professor's house. And there was incense and flowers and you knelt down before the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And I thought it was cool because the Beatles did it. So I took this up and I knelt down before a God that I didn't know, an Eastern foreign God, and I denounced Christ and I pledged my allegiance to this foreign God and things actually got worse for me. And um, so more drug use. I mean, I had to just just keep doing it. And I like dating guys with, first of all, I liked guys with hair down their back. If, they, if it touched like all the way down here, that was my favorite. And they had money for good drugs. That's what I like. Fast cars, long hair, you got money for good drugs, we're in. Um, so that was a little bit of, that was how I was, and then, you know, after, after high school, my dad was really good friends with one of the doctors at our local hospital who ran the laboratory, and my dad said, I got you a job. I said, okay. So I went down and I interviewed with Dr. Siemens and Dr. Spector, and I'm not supposed to use names, and, <laughs> and, so, and so they hired me, they hired me. And I'm learning, I was learning things in that hospital, like there's, there's no way college could have showed me all that. Doctors were teaching me stuff. I had to study. I had to study microbiology and biology and, and urinalysis and chemistry. And so I did so well that um, the, doctor, uh, the doctor, one doctor said, well, we're going to give you the urinalysis lab. And I said, oh, okay. So I thought, I got it. I gotta get myself together. I have to get myself together. So I stopped hanging with all my former friends, and I'm meeting new friends, but I still don't feel normal. I kept saying, what's normal? I felt like everybody had a map in life except me. Can I tell you something? Sometimes people come into church and they think everybody's got it together, but them, that's a lie. That's one of the biggest lies that you could ever, ever listen to. So, so I got this great job at the hospital. I'm making good money. I have a new car. I'm meeting new friends. We're going on cruises. We're, we're clubbing in Philly. We're clubbing. In, I mean, we're just having a ball. And I, that old, what's wrong with me? I need, I need a boyfriend. I need a good boyfriend. And so one of the doctors at work one day asked my friend and I to go to his friend's 21st birthday party. A lot of you know the story. His, 20, his friend's 21st birthday party. And I thought, I'm done with parties. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to. Well, my girlfriend, after we got home, she called me. She goes, we're going to that party. She said, I am picking you up at seven, click. And it's back in the archaic days when the phone is on the, well, I can't call her back, she's not answering. So I thought, let me get ready. So we got ready and we go to this party and um, I meet Bill Grandizio, it's it's his party. And actually we met, there's a a lot of guys there, a lot of people there. And I talked to him and for the first time I thought, I think this guy's normal." And, 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 and I felt, for the first time, I felt safe. I never felt safe with a guy until I was him, with him. And remember, I liked boys, long hair down your back, um, druggies, and he wasn't. He, he, didn't have real long, he didn't have real short hair. It was a little long. But he was together, and it was almost as if, almost as if, the Holy Spirit said, "I'm throwing you a lifeline; you better grab it." So he asks me out, and um, I got a boyfriend, and I was happy for this long. When we anything you try and make you happy for, out here, like I said, drugs, boys, money, and, It'll only make you happy for that long. Yeah. So I know what I need to do. I need to get married. That's gonna happen. that's gonna make me happy. So four months after we were after we dated, he asked me to marry him. And I said yes, we got married the next year. And so I'm married. I'm happy. This long. That long. I know what I I need a baby. That's what I need. I need no first I need a house. We bought a house. I was happy that long. It's that old, that old man keeps creeping up. Like you just, I need, I need, I need. And we all, we all know the God who takes care of all those needs. Nothing else does. I need a baby. That's what I need. So I got pregnant six months after we got married. Really, really cool story. Um, I was working in the urinalysis, and I was doing all the pregnancy tests for the area. And um, back then, there were no, um, you couldn't get a pregnancy test in a drugstore. You, they, everything, all the doctors sent it to, my, to our lab. And um, there's a two-minute test, and that was 92% accurate if you were pregnant. And then there was the two-hour, that was 98%. And I'm back in the lab one day, I was doing some stats, and I was under the microscope, and one of the technicians from microbiology came back with a urine sample. And she was in her, maybe her early 40s. She was older, but she came back and she was very quiet. They moved up from Texas. Her husband had gotten a job at the Delaware County um, Courthouse. She came back and she came, she gave me, she put a a urine specimen and she said, "Um, Debbie, I'm getting a DNC tomorrow, Um, and when you get a chance, would you check my urine to see if I'm pregnant? She and her husband, I didn't know, had tried for 10 to 13 years. So I said, sure, yeah, I'll do that. I didn't think anything of it. So I had a couple other pregnancy tests. I did the two-minute, you have to rock this thing back and forth, two-minute, and if the timer goes off, if it's a cloudy, milky, they're pregnant. If it breaks up um, in little spe- speckles, it's, they're negative. So I did her test and it's positive. She's getting a DNC tomorrow. Everybody knows, I know you nurses know what a DNC is. They go up and they scrape everything of the uterine, uterine lining, everything get, gets scraped out. And what's ever in there is getting scraped out. So I thought, oh wait a minute, before I tell this woman who can't get pregnant that she's pregnant, let me set up a two-hour. So I set up a two-hour pregnancy test, and um, she's pregnant. And I thought, mm. now sometimes there's false positives, and I thought, you know what? I want to be, be positive. So I went back to the supply room, got a brand new pregnancy test, brought it back, and you always set up a positive and a negative control. The kit didn't have a negative control in it only had a positive control, and I thought, well, I'm not pregnant. So I went around, went to the bathroom, came back with my urine. I set hers, the positive control, and my urine. Set it up for two hours, and it got real busy. I had stats come in from the ER. Stats are coming down from labor and delivery. And um, my friend said, hey, let's go, let's go grab coffee real quick. I said, okay, so I have to carry the, um, the clock with me. Brought it over. I said, Hey, I got to get back. My, the clock's about to go off. So I walked back in the urinalysis lab. I just took a sip of coffee and I looked, and there's three positive pregnancies. And I, pff, I spit my coffee. I was the only one in the lab, but I spit it out and I'm looking. And I thought, I'm Pregnant? No. I went and got another kit. All right, let me do it all right now. I got a brand new kit, set mine, hers, positive control, negative control. It was the longest 2 hours of my life. The longest 2 hours of my life. And I'm I'm busy. I'm looking at things under the microscope, but I keep, you know, looking over and the clock goes off and I'm pregnant. And we're only married 6 months and we wanted to wait 2 years. So, I first went up to the microbiology lab, and I called her out. I said, oh, "'Can I see you for a minute?' She goes, "'Yeah, what?' And when she came out, I burst out crying. I went, yeah, you're, "'You're pregnant,' and, and she looked, I'll never forget her look. She went, "'Debbie, please don't tease me.'" I said, "'I would never tease you.'" And Santa, I said, I'm not going to say her name, but, "'You're pregnant, and so am I.'" She goes, "'Something's wrong with the kid.'" I said, "'No.'" So I grabbed her, I brought her back into my lab. I said, there's you, and there's me. (laughs) And she goes, she's gone, oh, if she had had the DNC, they would have scraped the embryo out. You know, that was, I didn't know she was a Christian. Um, So I thought, okay, how am I gonna tell my husband that I am pregnant, but I did. I did, and it was, it was a blessing. I just want to go back and say, ladies, um, back to praying for your husband. Pray for him. Pray hard for him. But, but know this. You may have the greatest guy out there, but he's a lousy Jesus. He just is. You have to trust God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Bill was, um, I, I expected Bill to fix me all the time and, and he couldn't, he, he just couldn't. So I told him, you know, I was pregnant and he was like, okay, well, well, we'll do this thing, you know. So we bought a bigger house. We were in an apartment at the time, we bought our house. And um, all the old stuff comes up. You can get everything you think you need And until Jesus heals you, it's all going to come up. And it's coming out in destructive ways if you don't get healed. And so I was a few months pregnant. I quit my job four months after I got pregnant because there was a hepatitis outbreak in the lab. And the technicians were getting hepatitis. And Bill goes, you're done. You're out. I I can't take any chances. So I was like, see ya. Um, So I thought, I'm going to cook him it was, I'm going to cook him a roast beef dinner. It was my first roast beef I ever cooked. And um, I cooked roast beef. I made gravy. I made mashed potatoes and applesauce. And he would work all day and he'd come home, he'd eat, and he'd go back out to school. He was working on his degree. And so he came home and I said, I made roast beef. And so we sat down and we're eating it. And I said, how is it? And he said, It's a little tough. And I got up and I took the entire dining room table and I flipped the table. There's gravy coming down the wall, there's roast beef, there's mashed potatoes or applesauce, and Bill is sitting there with a fork like this. And he goes, you know you're going to have to clean this up, right? Because he had to go to school. I was so mad after he left because he didn't help me, but he had to go to school. I sat on the floor, pregnant, gravy down the wall, roast beef on the floor, and that old, what's wrong with me? What? Why am I so angry? What is wrong with me? I, I, I didn't know. I did want to say a couple things here. Um, so I, I just had it. I, I had just had it. That was one of many times where I would flip out and he loved me no matter what. Any other guy that I dated, if I had married, we would have been divorced. But Bill loved me. Wasn't always happy with what I did and he didn't fix it. Like I said, he would say, You're going to have to clean this up. Um, But he loved me. And I think uh, the year 1991, I was tired of playing. I was tired of playing with God. I had been reading my Bible on and off. And I'd I'd have these, I was so much drama. I always had drama in my life from all the trauma that I had. Um, And this one day I had, I was mad at something. I picked the vacuum cleaner up over my head and I smashed it till I just had a pole and wire left. And I just thought, I I can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. So I got the Bible back out. This is my first Bible. It is so tattered and torn. It is all I mean, messed up pages falling out. It is my tattered Bible. But you know what they say? People whose Bible's fallen apart usually has a life that isn't. So I keep that there. I have other Bibles at home, <clears throat> but that's my favorite one because of all the writing, and that was my first one. And so I said, What do I do? I don't know how to fix me. And he tried but he couldn't. So I opened the Bible up <clears throat> to what, what did people do when they really were serious about God? I saw where King David fasted. I said, that's what I'm going to do. So it was Easter Monday, 1991. <clears throat> I went in my room. I got on the floor. I put my face in the carpet. But before I looked up through the window and I said, I'm not going to get up again. I won't eat again until I know you. I put my face down in the carpet and I just cried. And it was as if somebody put a VCR camera on in my head. I didn't know the word vision then. But the vision was this. I, was, I had my face in the carpet, but I was watching me in a desert. And it was just dry, um, arid there was one palm tree over to the right, and I was watching me, but as I was watching me, right here in my sternum was this this dark, these dark things were just swirling and swirling. And Every once in a while, one would rear its head, and it looked like all I can do is explain it like an ugly alligator. And then it would go back, and this swirling stuff, and this dark. And then another thing would would rear its head, and that one looked like a um, like a swine, like a uh, an evil-looking swine. And this stuff swirling, and in my vision, I retched and I vomited out all this dark stuff. Just kept coming out, and I heard behind the palm tree. They're gone. They were small, but they're gone. And for the first time in years, when I got up off the floor, I actually felt, I felt like I was walking like this for years. But I was jumping in my room. I'm jumping and I'm going. Is this, no- this is normal. Wait, this is normal. And I ran down my steps, and I was running around our old house. And every once in a while, I'd look out the kitchen window and say, I'd, I'd look up to a guy I didn't really, really know. I'd say, you like me? After everything I did, you like me? And I was running around the house, and I was so happy. And Bill came home, and I, I told him what happened. And he said, you look different, but he wasn't sure what I was going to break next. So he was always like, not sure, but you look, you look different, you know? So then I said, um, so then I said, you know what? I got to get my, I got to get into one of those Bible believing churches because I was reading the Bible in my Catholic church and I am, I, I don't diss any Catholics in here. My whole family's Catholic, but my Catholic friends at church were saying, you shouldn't read the Bible. Why are you reading the Bible? You should. And so I lost all my friends in that church because I was reading the Word of God. Um, so I kept saying to God, Lord, I, I want one of those Bible-believing churches. You know, the Holy Spirit-filled. Could you show me, please? But don't take me out of a Catholic church because that's where I'm comfortable. And I did that on and off. I would vacillate. Lord, I'd, I'd leave Mass. I'd leave Mass. Man, Lord. I need one of those Bible believing churches. Show me. And I'd start to get an inkling to look and I'd be like, but wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't take me out of here. It's all I know. It's all I-. And my kids go to Catholic school. Until one, time, one day, God pushed me. And I needed a push. I knew I was supposed to come out, and I couldn't. And it was Father's Day, 1992. We were, my dad had just had open-heart surgery up at Hahnemann Hospital. And we were in his room. He was supposedly doing pretty well, but when we went in his room, he had a stroke. He fell back. His eyes went, rolled back in his head. And they ushered us out of the room. Um, the nurse came out about 20 minutes later, and she said to my mom, you better call your family. He's not going to make it. And I knew my dad I knew exactly where he was going. And I thought, I got to do something. So they didn't know. I snuck into his room. I saw the flat line. I saw my father. He looks like a corpse in a coffin. But I reached through and I grabbed his forearm. My dad was real big. He was real muscular. And I grabbed his forearm. I could hardly put my hand around it. And I yelled, hold on, dad, hold on. I ran out of the room. I went into the first lady's room. I shut it. I locked the door. I put my hands up. I said, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I'll go to the church you want me to go to. Please bring my father back. Please don't let him go to hell. I'll go to the church you want me to go to. I'll I'll live for you. I'll live for you 100% of the time. I won't play anymore. So I went back in the waiting room. The family's there. And my mom's crying, and my sister's boyfriend came up. He was a Scientologist. And he said, all right, everybody, let's just close our eyes, and we'll think good thoughts for Mr. Laughlin. And I rose up, something rose up, and I pointed my finger at him, and I said, good thoughts are not going to bring my father back, but Jesus Christ can. And everybody just kind of looked at me. So the surgeon came back out, and he said to my mother, we don't know. He kept shaking his head. He said, we don't know how, but we think he might make it. He said, now he'll probably never walk or talk again. He's lost way too much, too much oxygen. He said, but, and, he, and then he went like this and he looked at my mom. He said, every organ shut down on your husband. And then it started back up again. So they intubated him. He was on life support up in ICU. And went home, got home like three o'clock that Father's Day or the next morning. And um, I thought, where, where am I gonna go? I just told God I was gonna go to church. He wanted me to. I don't know any Christians. I don't know anybody. I don't know what to do, where to go. So I called a prayer line. Colorado. I heard this woman preach, Marilyn Hickey. Um, and, and so I thought, well, I, I don't know. I don't know anybody. Let me call this prayer line. I called and I said, listen, I told her everything that happened. And she said, honey, you need help from the Holy Spirit. I said, I know. I don't know what to do. Like I wanted her to get on a plane, come out to Pennsylvania, show me, a, go there. Cause I was scared because in, in my family, if you went outside the Catholic church, you're getting in a cult and I was afraid. So she said, okay, I want you to get the phone book out and I want you to look, go in the yellow pages. I thought I knew it was going to get weird. I knew it. So I got the yellow pages out. She said, I want you to look up churches. i want you to name me some churches. I did. And this one was like somebody had a flashlight on it and it wasn't too far from my house. So I thought, oh oh my goodness. All right, I got to do this. So I'd call up the hospital. He's still he's still the same. Um, and so Sunday came, and I'm gone to this church that I don't I don't want to go because I'm scared to death. And when God wants you to do something, He will send everything, every every crowbar in, at your feet. Uh, my mom happened to call me that morning. She said, "Where are you going?" I said, "Ma." I'm going to this church. I'll be right back. I'll go to the hospital with you later. I'm going to this church, and she started yelling at me. She didn't go to church, but she started yelling at me. She said, "Debbie, you're going to be excommunicated." And I said, "Ma, the Pope doesn't know me." She goes, "I I don't care. They're going to throw you out, and you know the whole bit." So that I'm walking out. And Bill is also, you know, he's concerned because he loved, he loved my father with everything in him. And he's standing in the foyer and I'm walking out with just the older two kids. I was going to leave the younger two home with him because I got to check this church out. And he was not happy at all. Where are you going? I'm Catholic. Where are you going? And I look at him and I said, let me tell you something. My dad's life is hanging in the balance and I'm following God no matter who follows with me. I'm following God. So I pulled up in the parking lot of this church and I looked at it and I hated it. (laughs) I hated it. I hated everything about it. So I'm out there and they already started singing. So I thought, Oh, can't go there. Sorry, singing. I'm going to be but I just sat there. I couldn't move. And this couple pulled up. This couple pulls up in front of the house and they, they, they reminded me of my aunt and uncle. And they're, they're looking up at the church. So I thought, I wonder if they know anything about this church. So I got the kids, come on, let's go. So I went up and I said, do you guys know anything about this church? They said, oh, honey, we live in Florida. But every time we come here, we come to this church. It's a great church. And as they're talking, she puts her arm around me. And her husband puts his arm around Lisa and Lauren and escorts us in the church. And I said this, I've read the Bible enough. This guy's a loon bag. I'll know it. What, what got me was the Italian name. Uh, the, there was an Italian name. No, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> the, the Italian name um, out of this church. And I thought, I, I, oh, he's Italian. All right, he can't be too bad. Okay, I'm going to go. But here, that guy left, and there was an, there was an interim pastor... And so I walked, walked in the church. I sat down. I thought, all right, I don't want anybody looking at me. Don't greet me at greeting time. I just don't want anybody talking to me. And I mean, people flock to me at greeting time. I'm like, ah, okay, you know, that's fine. Pastor, Pastor Weed started to preach, and it was as if the sermon started with Dear Debbie. I'll never forget it. The tears are streaming down my face, And I heard this voice once again say, he is who you'll follow me through. I thought, all right, okay. So good, he's Italian. So all right, all right, I'll follow him. So as soon as church was over, that old, get out, you better get out of here. I got up, got the kids. I went to run out of the church and Pastor Weed ran after me. He said, excuse me. I said, yeah. He said, my name's, you know, he told me his name. He, I said, look, as soon as he told me his name, I said, listen, I can't come back here. I'm Catholic. And he goes, he goes, so are we. I said, what? He said, so are my wife and I. And I said, listen, if I stay, would you help me? He said, every question you have, I've asked. So I thought, okay. said, you know what? I'll come back. I'll come back. So he said, would you like me to go to Hahnemann Hospital and pray for your dad? I said, you know what? I don't don't want to put that on you. You can't do anything more than what Jesus Christ is doing. He said, I'll go if you want. I said, no, it's okay. I got home. I pulled up in the driveway. And as soon as I got in, the phone was ringing. It was my sister. She said, Debbie, dad's awake. He's sitting up. So I thought, praise you, Lord. Two weeks later, Bill comes in with the rest of my kids, and we are on our way. We, I mean, leaps and bounds. We're, we're, we're eating God's word. We're going to Bible study. He's loving the, well, first of all, when I found out the guy's name was Pastor Weed, I said, uh, you know, it's a good thing your name wasn't out on the, on the thing, because I don't think I would ever come in if your name was Pastor Weed. Because um, I thought you were Italian. So, um, so so now we're in church. My daughter gets healed of seizures. Billy gets healed of Crohn's disease. She's growing.'m bringing Billy up. Um, you know, we're doing great. So once you get into church, everything's perfect, isn't it? Mm-mm. No. Couple years later, our oldest daughter uh, really went off. She went, she went way off the path, and I'm not going to get into that because today, she's off every drug. She doesn't take drugs. She's, she, she even said to me, "Mom, you need to get off caffeine. Yeah, you need to get off coffee because it's caffeine." I'm thinking, "Yeah, you're, you're telling me to get off caffeine." Um, she, it, it was severe rebellion, and we did everything we could, everything we could, trying to get her help. We tried. For well over a year, and finally had to say, "We love you so much, but these are our rules, and you can't follow them. So you need to go." I, I never thought I would have to do that. She and she was she wanted to go. She kept saying she was leaving anyway, so she left, and um, I was despondent. I mean, I was just. I never thought I'd have to put a child out, actually didn't put her out. I said, this is what you have to do. And she said no to every single thing. And they were all watching. So she left and it was hard. It was really, really hard. And one night I would lay in bed. I would lay in bed on my back and I'd cry. And the tears would wet the sides of my head. And um, this thought came, you know, Satan's a bully. When you're down, that's when he'll pound your your thoughts. He'll just keep pounding you and pounding you. And I just thought, you have to be the worst mother on the face of the earth. You got to be. Look at your kid. And you know what? You're going to mess your other kids up. You're the worst. And I couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't stop crying. And the Holy Spirit interjected my thoughts with a question, and it was this Am I a good father? And it freaked me out. I knew it was God. I wasn't even thinking on that realm. And I said back now, I'm having this conversation in my frame. I said, Yes, you're a good father. And he said, No. I'm a perfect father and my children still rebelled. Stop beating yourself up and get on with the life that I died for you to live. And it it revolutionized the way I thought about myself because I felt so much shame. Moms feel so much shame sometimes and so much pain. And God showed me, let me take that shame. My kids did too. Yeah. Get on with the life that I died for you to live. So I want to make sure and say that to all the moms. Um, I'm going to talk about church hurt. Anybody ever hurt in church? Nah. I thought I had, you know, all my friends in church and a lot of people turned against us. A lot of people talked about us for how we raise. We're raising our children. We're too strict and this and that. And one day I walked into church. I I would cry on my way to church, and I dried my eyes out in the the parking lot. I walked into church, and this woman who I thought was my friend, she came up to me and she said, "Debbie, everybody in here is talking about you, and yet you come in and you go to your pew." and you worship God like there's no tomorrow. And I had to cut her off. I had to walk away because I started to cry and I went to my pew. I was so hurt by some of the people and some of the things they were saying. My church, I thought you guys were my friends. It wasn't this church, it wasn't the church. And I remember my pastor sitting me down. I was having panic attacks. Uh, My pastor sitting me down and he said, Debbie, didn't you ever hear that The army of God is the only one, is the only army that shoots their own wounded. And I thought, wow, may we never, may we not do this here. May we, when people are hurting or somebody's kids are off the rail, don't judge them. They're doing the best they can. They're doing the very best that they can. You know? Satan wants you out of church and if he can 't get it in your head he'll he 'll do something he'll make he 'll use somebody in your church he wants you out if you 're in a good bible believing church holy ghost holy spirit filled church stay I stayed even when i didn 't want to go I stayed and i said god i 'm being faithful to you Lord through my tears and through my pain i 'm not going to leave your house and he was so he was faithful. He he was faithful. He really was. So, don't leave your church. Stand your ground. Uh, don't leave God's house. God didn't hurt you. He doesn't hurt you. People who misrepresent God hurt you. Not God. Not God. Um,
0: love that you went there because just quickly um, something as a kid growing up you know that's life people will come and hurt their say they're Christians or people that don't and I watched my parents walk through hurt as a child in the church and they could have left the church and ran Mm -hmm. and hated people and hated God or they could have stayed and they chose to stay they never came against adversity or hurt in the church and then we're like oh we wipe our hands of this we're out they right. stayed. if it's a church they knew that the church we were at was they uh, preached the full the full gospel the full word of god mm-hmm. and they believed in all the gifts of the bible and and welcomed the holy spirit my parents knew that and so they said we're planted we're not moving mm-hmm. until god tells us to go and as a kid being able to watch that is who i am today you know facing um trials and hurt in and out of the church no we don't run we stay planted in the word of god and we're not going anywhere unless god tells us to go amen and i think that's where a lot of people take the easy way out especially in the church is oh i got hurt by someone so i'm out did god tell you that did you ask god And so it was cool growing up, watching, life is not perfect, I watched my no. parents get hurt, but they, they never turned their back on God. And we never talked about, in
1: front of our children, we never talked about any of the leaders in the church. Because once you do that, your children won't trust. You don't talk about any, anybody who may hurt you or who you disagree with, you only encourage and uplift them. We didn't talk about to our children, they didn't know the people in church who were, who were talking about us, but we, we wouldn't discuss that in front of them. You just don't do that. you know And God he was faithful. Yeah. He was really faithful. Um, you know, uh, one more thing I wanted to say, um, people say to me, sometimes, why, why are you so vocal in church?" And I want to say, you have no idea how tattered how tormented, how torn my emotions were. And for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, even when I knelt down to a foreign God and I denounced him, he never left me. He's faithful. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath Are his everlasting uh, arms. The word underneath in Hebrew is bottom. When you're at your rock bottom, he's still holding you up. He's still loving on you. He's still being faithful. You know? Amen. I have one more story to share. And you know, let God heal your trauma, let Him heal your wounds. We all have them, we all do. I mean, I just gave you a little snippet, a little tiny snippet of some of the things or have. It got much worse. Um, but I'll never forget when one of my jobs as a, the urinalysis tech was to do the T.B. tests in the um, hospital. And so I love that because I get to meet the patients. I'd fill all the syringes, I'd take them up, I'd start with the first floor, second floor. I had a patient in ICU that needed a TV test. He was an older gentleman, I guess, maybe he was in his 70s. Anyway, I got off the elevator, so I'm always looking at the patient because I don't want to mess the patients up, I, you know, or, or do something. I'm, not to, I'm always looking at the patient's name, ICU. I got to go see him got my needle. I got out of the elevator and I heard sobbing. And I walked past the um, waiting room out of ICU and I saw this young mom. She was in her, maybe her late forties, I don't know. And she's sobbing on this person's arm and there's other girls in there. They were in um, Catholic school uniforms and they're crying in there. I thought, hmm. So I went into ICU. I'm looking for my patient, but I see over to my right, there's a young girl, and she was beautiful. Does anybody remember, the? she's an older star, Natalie Wood? This, this girl looked like a young Natalie Wood. She looked like a movie star. She was beautiful, and she was bandaged. Her arms were bandaged all the way up, and they were back in splints like that. And so I'm looking for my patient, but I looked over at her, and I smiled, and she looked at me like, I hate the world. So I went up to, the, to the, the, one of the nurses was my friend. I said, what's up with the young girl? And she said, oh gosh, she tried to commit suicide last night. She said, you know how some kids cut for attention? I said, yeah. She said, she didn't do it for attention. She said, it took them hours to save her. And so I smiled at her again and she just glared at me. So I walked over to my patient and I gave him the TV test. And while I was taking the syringe out of my patient, I heard this voice. Again, I didn't really understand my thought, your thoughts, his thoughts. I do not know. But this this thought came to me. Go over to her and tell her, hey, I, I didn't sit in class and listen to lectures about how you feel. I didn't read books about how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. Now you hold on. But I reasoned it away. And I walked back out of ICU, past her sobbing mother. I got in the elevator. I went downstairs and I was telling the other technicians. There's this little girl, and they were saying, Oh, I know, it's such a shame. A couple of days later, I had to work the weekend. So a couple of days later, I was having coffee with my mom. I still lived at home. I'm having coffee with my mom, and I'm flipping through the newspaper, and I come to the obituaries. And there she is, 14. So I called my friend at the hospital. I said, what happened to so-and-so? She said, her mom, she was discharged. And when her mom went to the grocery store, she went in the basement and hung herself. And, And the thought came, I should have talked to her. Maybe if I did, it wouldn't have changed the outcome, but I'll never know. So... God wants us to tell people, get healed, let them heal your trauma, and then share your story to touch others, because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to touch on and love others.
0: So good, so good. Worship team, can you please come? Thank you so much for sharing. Can we just take a moment and honor this amazing woman of God right here that's coming
1: guys. Thank you. I if love this you, church.
0: I love this church. We love you. If you have, you can just hang up here with me if you okay. want. If you have discounted yourself from being used by God because Amen. of your past or because of decisions that you've made or because of things that have happened to you or hurt that's been out of your control or trauma, I can tell you that you've fallen into the biggest lie and trap of the enemy. Amen. Because God says, I wanna use it all. God won't waste a thing. No matter what's happened to you, he wants to use it. He wants to restore what's been broken. He wants to heal the hurt. He wants to use what's happened to you in your life. And it, it could be really easy for my mom to say, you know what, that's just too painful. That's just too embarrassing. That's just too, oh, I don't like that. But instead, when you come and have not just knowledge of who God is in his word, but you have a revelation of who God is... It allows him to come in and restore. It allows him to come in and work. You start those okay, things okay. that you that you felt so shameful about. All of a sudden, you realize that it's going to be used for God's glory. Thank you. Lord. And um, and and don't fall into the trap of the enemy where he says you can't be used. You're too dirty. Oh, that happened to you, or you went through that. No, no, no. Allow Him, allow God to come in and turn it around and use it as your story and your testimony because we've said this before. The root, one of the root words of the word testimony is do it again. Amen. And when you release a thing out of your mouth and you release the goodness of God and what He's done in your life, God wants to do it again. And you have no idea the people around you, in your family, at your workplace, the people that that need to hear the goodness of God and what he has done in your life because they're going through it too. And so can we just every hand raise.